from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just read to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strasser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today, it's all about your company story. First, though, do us a favor, head on over to deadhousecoffee.com where you can get the freshest coffee made on earth coffee that is roasted chipped and delivered to your doorstep within a 24 hour period okay can't get any fresher than that but if you use code shark you will save 20 percent off of your order all the proceeds help us continue growing the show just like our live stream we're doing Shark Bite Biz Live, our second episode. It's with Adita Pine on September 21st at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on YouTube. It's going to be an amazing show. It's fun. We got a lot of good news stories planned up. But let's get back to today's show. We're going to be chatting about something that too many companies just don't do, okay? They don't publish or even acknowledge their brand story. It's one of the biggest mistakes a company can make as sometimes like the origin story of a company. When you use it the right way, oh man, it is so, so powerful. It, you know, captures people to be loyal and to love your brand. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. So who's our guest? None other from all the way down under in Australia, Gabrielle Dolan. Gabrielle can tell you a story or two. In fact, it was while working in senior leadership roles in corporate Australia that she realized the power of storytelling in effective business communication. She is now a highly sought after international keynote speaker and educator. Her impressive client list includes Visa, EY, Amazon, Vodafone, and the Obama Foundation to drop a few names. And she got to meet a former president, Barack Obama, while undertaking that work. Gabrielle holds a master's degree in management and leadership and has studied at Harvard. She is the best-selling author of several books, including Real Communication, which was a finalist in one of Australian Business Leadership Book Awards for 2019, plus Stories for Work at 2017, which reached number one in Australia's best-selling books. She's now here with her newest book, Magnetic Stories. And hey, without further delay... Let's bring Gabrielle right on in here. Reach your customer. Gabrielle, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. Oh, wow. That sounds terrifying and exciting all at the same time, David. I'm very excited to be here. Well, being down there, you're, you're from Australia, from the land down under. I'm sure you have a ton of experience with sharks down there. We do. We do. We There's sharks everywhere. No, it's, it's one of those things. There are sharks 
It's one of those things Australians like to tell the rest of the world of all the dangerous animals we have, but we do, but, you know, you very rarely come across them. Uh, what about kangaroo? You see a kangaroos often then? Kangaroo, no, so seriously, I, I've, we've got two properties, one in the city, one in the, the country, and in the country I sit on my balcony watching the kangaroos. So it's sort of uh, often when I do, uh, you know, meetings with clients in the US, I just turn around and go, would you like to see a kangaroo? And it's like, oh, my God, that's the first kangaroo I've seen in the wild. Oh, wow. Wow. That That's probably got to be like the best selling tip ever. You know, just have kangaroos as far live kangaroos in your backyard as your background when you're trying to sell a client something that I, I'd be like, take my money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is that a virtual, <laughs> is that a virtual background you have? I go, no, that's real. And you can listen, listen to the birds as well. So anyways, we do have a tradition on this show before we go any further everybody's got to answer this question. Who are you? What's your background? What's your experience? What do you do for a living? How did you start doing that? Basically, in a nutshell, tell us what makes Gabrielle, Gabrielle. Oh, wow. What a what a question in a nutshell. Um, so I, I'll try to go through this really quickly. I wanted to be a graphic designer, but didn't get enough marks. So I went way back in 1984 and got a job as a trainee computer operator. So like this is when computers first came. And I I was in I was in IT for about 10 years. I was working with one of Australia's largest banks. And being in a really big company, you get the great opportunity to not only change jobs, but change careers. So I started in technology and then I moved into um, learning and development roles and then change management and project management and seen, you know, and progressed up to senior management roles. I was there for about 20 years. But it was in those last couple of jobs in change management and senior leadership, I started to notice that when I shared a story to communicate a message, people people tend to like understand it better and and actually remember it. So I it was about 20 years ago I started this exploring this concept of storytelling and storytelling in business and you know uh, I read a couple of books about it. There was a there was a guy called Steve Denning that um, who was an ex senior exec at the World Bank who had written a book on storytelling in organizations and part of me thought you know, if someone from the World Bank can write a book on this, it seems legitimate. And because of my background in designing and delivering leadership development training, I knew, I knew that this was a skill that leaders needed, that salespeople needed, that business people needed. So um, 18 years ago, I left the corporate world and have been working with um, small business owners, leaders in large organisations and everyone in between, teaching them how to communicate more effectively through sharing stories. Wow, that that's quite the story because it's kind of like uh, a tale of... Uh two lives to a degree. I mean, it sounds like you spend about half your career working in the tech corporate type world and the other half of your, your, your career, basically telling stories and helping those companies tell stories. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it, it's quite ironic. I get a lot of calls now from, um, clients, um, IT clients that they go, we need to, we need to communicate this in a way that people understand. I go, yep, I know. I get you. It was like you know, <laughs> th 35 years ago, I was trying to do the same thing. So, um, I guess I've had experience. I've had a lot of experience in the business. You know, I run my own business. I've had experience in corporates. I've had experience leading people. I've had experience selling, um, leading change, like rolling out values and mission and purpose and all that type of stuff. So I've had a, a whole heap of 
experiencing that. Um, and then, you know, the last half of my career, it's it's helping those people navigate through that and how they and how they share stories more effectively and how they just communicate more effectively. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, when you were saying that, what was running through my head is I was thinking about with my day-to-day job at Vision 33 about how oftentimes when I'm in a sales cycle, it's kind of storytelling in a way. But what I'm doing is I'm translating all the geeky tech talk to the non-geeky, non-techy people so that they can understand it in a way that is more comprehensive for them. You know, one thing I think a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, mom and pop businesses, they don't really realize the power and the strength that their story actually has. How do you, how do you help them understand the power of their story. Yeah, David, I think this is a critical. I um so just just to backtrack, my, I, my latest book is called Magnetic Stories: How to um, Connect with Customers, Engage Employees Through Brand Storytelling. And the reason I wrote that book is there were so many people I came across, and it was a lot of small business owners that didn't understand the power of their own personal story. And to give you one quick example, I was at a I was at a function, I was the keynote speaker, I was speaking to someone afterwards, and it was, you know, I was asking this woman what she did, and she ran a whole heap of childcare centers. And I went, oh wow, you know, how did you get into that? And she said, well, I used to be a dentist. And I went, well, there's a change. And she told me the story that her and her husband had tried to, you know, get pregnant for a decade and they finally got pregnant. And when she was going back to work, she was looking for a childcare centre to put her son in. I think her son was called James. And she said every childcare centre she went into, she thought James wouldn't love this. He wouldn't love it. And so she said, I just decided to buy one and create a childcare centre that James would love. And she said, every time we make a decision about... Hold on, she 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 bought a child care center. Yeah, and now she has... And now she has a whole chain of them. And she said, every decision that's made in the business is based around, would James love this? And I looked at her and I said, please tell me that story's on your website. And she went, oh, no, we just use it internally. Like, no one would be interested in that. And I just said, if I was looking for a child care center for my child... I would read that story and I would just go book me in. And I came across so many examples of that where people, and I'm going, why are you not sharing that story? And and there's a whole lot of reasons why they don't. It's, it's sort of, and I think some of them think they need. Can you give a couple of the reasons why people don't? Yeah. So I think a couple of small business people think they need to appear bigger than what they are. They sort of, they want to compete with the really, really big companies um, so they stop. Sh- they might start sharing that story, but they once they get to the point where oh, we're we got to grow and it's got to be bigger as me as the founder, they stop sharing it, and it's it's almost like and I go no, don't stop sharing it because that's the absolute gold. That's the power. Um, I, I had a I had another example of a, a guy. He'd started a wine company, and he started the wine company um, after this was about ten or fifteen years ago when it, they went through massive 
massive bushfires in Victoria and he lost all his property. And from the funding he got, he started this wine company. So he donates 50% of all the profits to all these charities. And his company's growing, his company's growing. And he said to me, I stopped telling my story because I thought it needs to be not about me now. It needs to be about all the great work he had was doing with the charities. And then he got investors. So investors came in and it was the investors. And in his words, he said, the investors know a hell of a lot more about growth and marketing than I do. And they said, you need to keep telling your story because that is, that's, so you, you can still tell other stories, but you don't stop telling the story about how the company founded. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, uh, first off, I find that amazing that he's given away 50% of his profits and yet he's still growing. I mean, that's that's a huge percentage to give away. I mean, I applaud anybody that's willing to do that with, you know, with their business, you know, wholeheartedly unselfishly that's that's pretty gnarly that's really awesome yeah it is it is so and it's also so and i think i think small businesses have the best stories because it's why they started it's always a reason why they started when you look at really large companies and you look on their website and it might say our story there's never a story there it's never a story it's things like we we it's it's a timeline we founded in blah 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 and blah blah and we provide leading best practice edge to our clients to oh my god it is so boring and it's not a story so so tell your story how you know deep should the stories be um i think i think it depends on how you're telling them so for example your your story you, you, you're going to have the same story but you might have different variations of the story and as in and i'm not saying they're they're made up but it's depending on who you're telling the story to like if you're if you're speaking to investors, for example, you probably want to really share the story about why you're so passionate about this and why you're doing it and why you're in for the long haul and the value you're adding. Um, you know, on your website, you still might have the same story, but it might be shorter. So it, it's just, it's, I, I think you can go deep. I think, I, I don't think I've seen any story too deep. I think people are so paranoid of going too deep, they would never go there. And what what I see happen... What about too deep versus too long? Is that an issue? Too deep and too long is not good. <laughs> so it's not good. So even though you might have a really great story and you're really passionate about it, in business... When I, when I train people to share stories in business, I would say that it shouldn't be any longer than about two minutes. So there's a real skill in getting your story really succinct um, and there's a real skill in knowing what to put in and what to leave out. So um, they've got to be succinct. They've st- in, you know, it's still business. It's it's not talking to your friends over dinner. So it's they've got to be really succinct and to the point. And in the written format, they've they've got to be even more succinct. Oh yeah, definitely, a hundred percent agree with that. Now we've been talking about helping customers understand your business story, but how can you also use those stories to help engage with your employees as well too? Yes. The the vast majority of my work actually, David, is working with companies to um, connect with their employees. In fact, of um, just a side issue where you talked about my backstory, the reason I didn't get into what I wanted to do when I left school because I, I failed English. I actually failed English in my final year of school, but I have now published. And now you're an author. (laughs) 
an author of seven times. So I've published seven books. Um, the vast majority were all best-selling or best-selling in Australia, which is probably not on the same league as best-selling in America. But anyway, no, no when to end. Yeah, it's close enough. It's close enough. So the reason I'm sharing this is because all my previous books besides my last ones were how you connect with your um, employees. One of the biggest, the most powerful things you could use story for in with with your employees is in um, to communicate the values the you know a lot of companies have values and even even if it's a small business you might not have the stated values that large companies have on their website but if you think about it you you're going to have values that you run your business by communicating personal stories to to demonstrate those values and why they're so passionate and that's fundamentally what I do I go in and help the leaders of the company share stories to their employees to get them really connected, engaged with the values, the purpose, the mission, the strategy, what you know, whatever messages, but also use them in induction programs, um, in recruitment programs, so in job interviews. In you know, in this day and age, the um, the power in the job interview has shifted, and and they're into they're interviewing you as much as you are interviewing them. So how do you demonstrate your values um, in job interviews? It's funny. Sorry to interrupt. It's sorry that you you say that because when I was looking for a job, I was working on my own doing consulting. But while I was consulting, I was also trying to get out of consulting with a full-time job until Vision 33 finally accepted me. And I'd go into an interview and I'd be the one. It's like I'm interviewing them. And uh, companies back then really did not like that. They were like, who does this guy think he is? Like, that's pretty... pretty arrogant and uh you know i but i didn't view it as arrogant i'm like you're asking me to give up my business to come work for you okay i'm making sure you're a fit for me before i give up and risk my livelihood my family and all of that you know to work for your company and it's kind of weird because again 10, 15 years ago, like it was almost taboo. But now the tables have shifted to where, yes, the employees have more rights. And that is a more normal discussion to have. Yeah, absolutely. I like the fact that, David, you said, you know, you'd go in and interview them and they would be probably thinking, who the hell is this guy? Who does he think he is? He, he's arrogant. And, and by that um, they're actually being arrogant, and and, and that's what that's what it is. They're being arrogant because they'll be going, well, why would you even? Everyone would want to come and work for us. Um, it was like, no, no, people have different values, and I've walked out of plenty of interviews. I mean, there's plenty of interviews where you know they swindle you in, they go in there, and then they tell you the salary and. It's like, yeah, this isn't a fit. Thank you. Uh, you know, I wish you the best of luck. And I'm walking out the door, and it's like, uh, and it, 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 they're like, hold on, hold on. We're the ones that wanted to tell you that you can't work for us. It's like, no, I'm the ultimate decider of who I work for. I've got talent. I know I got talent. I decide that. You don't decide. Now, every now and then, there's some places that maybe I did want to work for it. I ended up not getting the position. Yeah, they held the the keys, but I also probably played those interviews a little bit different than ones that I were more, you know, sketchy on, I guess you can say. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, I think any, you know, 
in business, you're dealing with people. I mean, the, the idiot that said business is not personal is an idiot because we're people, so you take it personally. And people working for you, they want a, they want a good relationship. I mean, I, I even do that when I, you know, in my own business now, if I'm working with clients, I, I have three rules in my head is um, I've got to, I've got to be inspired by what you're trying to do with storytelling. I've got to believe I can add value and I have to like you. And I sometimes say that to clients and it was like, and if we don't tick all three boxes, then I'm not, I'm not taking, I'm not coming in and working for you. And they're almost going, oh my God, I hope you like us. And it was like, well, and you should, you shouldn't be working with people you don't like or don't respect or have a clash of values with. And and, and I'm prepared to walk out of those meetings and leave money on the table because it was like, nah, just don't think this is going to be right for us. I, I learned that early on in my career. Just don't accept any position because it won't work. You know, accept things that do work and that maybe it's not the greatest pay or whatever, but you know, I'm quirky. I'm out of the box and they value me for who I am. I value them, even though, you know, sometimes they may drive me nuts, but every job's going to drive you nuts. Eventually you're never going to have a perfect job with every single day is all rainbows and sunshine. And, you know, to think you're going to get that when you find employment, I mean, it's, it, that's a fairy tale. I don't think it'll ever, ever happen for anybody. You know, it, it's like um, one of my previous mentors pretty much told me in the industry that I'm in, you know, if you don't have escalations with clients, there's one solution. You're not selling enough. Because if you sell enough, you're just going to have it because of the industry we work in, you know, with tech. And as you start peeling back the layers of the onion in order to do these implementations, you're going to find things that, oh, yes, I know that we told you that we're, I don't know, a wood mill and we manufacture wood, but we also have this strawberry farm and uh, we need that implemented too. And it's like, well, that's not part of the quote, you know? And then you have a big escalation and a renegotiation and then you find a meeting, you know, a, a, a way to go forward from there. But yeah, that's some of the best advice I think I've ever gotten. Yeah, it, sh it shouldn't be too hard. I mean, it's like you said, there's going to be parts of a job you don't like, um, but it, it shouldn't be too hard. It, it, an employer-employee relationship should, should be like a friendship or a part, you know, with your partner. The vast majority of it should be great. And yes, there's going to be times when they annoy you, but the vast majority of it should be great. And if it's not great, then, and, you know, very conscious, not everyone is in that financial position to make the choice. But if you're in the financial position to make a choice, make a choice. I kind of go with the 80-20 rule. You know, I think uh, that's a healthy balance because I think if a job doesn't drive you nuts, uh, in some regards, maybe it's not challenging you enough and you need to take a step up higher. You know, you know what I'm saying there? That if it's too easy or whatever, then then you're not being pushed hard enough and you have more potential. Find something that's going to be more challenging and pushes you a little bit harder. And I think 80-20 is around the good, healthy balance. At least it is for me. I, that reminds me, David, and this is just complete name dropping, but it's relevant. Um, 
I, di- I did work with the Obama Foundation. I got to meet Barack Obama. But but what I want to talk about is I, I also saw Michelle Obama talk on stage and she was talking about marriage and she was actually talking about, you know, that Barack and, and her have had, you know, marriage cancelling and stuff like that. And she said marriage is hard work, like any relationship's hard work. But if someone said to you, you're going to be married for 50 years and 40 years of that is going to be just the best time of your life, but 10 if it's going to be hard work, would you still take it? And I reckon most people would take that. So it's it sort of fits perfectly into your 80-20 rule. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So speaking about marriages, how about we talk about another hot topic, mistakes, okay? Uh, <laughs> perfect transition, right? Right? I, I was I was looking for the transition there. I was like, are they two words that start with M? And I was like, right, okay, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's a that's a that's a very subtle segue. Hey. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So um, mistakes. Uh, I'll ask you. Have you ever made any mistakes as a business owner? Yes. Yes, I've made some mistakes. Any specific one you want to admit to? It's coming down to well, yeah. Well, there's a there's a couple. Once I did, uh, it was very early on in my career, and uh, I got I employed. I was with a bit, another business partner and we decided to go with um, a salesperson that would teach us sales coaching. And from the start, there was a part of me that went, mm, I'm not sure I overly like his style. And, but I thought, you know, you know, when you sort of think, oh, am I just doing that as a convenient story? I'm telling myself. I despise sales coaching. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of me was going, I'm not liking the style. And then I'm thinking maybe it's just uncomfortable and it's a convenient story I'm using for myself. So I'll give it a go. And anyway, we did this coaching and then I, you know, we had a, like a, busk out where you get people in to come and sell. And then oh, it just at the end, at the end, I felt like I had to have a shower. I felt so dirty. And I was so I was so annoyed with myself for going through it. And it just felt slimy and sleazy. And I I, I remember I driving home from that and I would and I cried. It just hit me so hard that I I went against my values. I went against my values. And that's, that's when I think when you look back at some of the mistakes you make in business and you go, why did I do that? Or like you sort of knew it was wrong. And um, one question I'm wondering, and you know, obviously I know your opinion that you felt that it was slimy and, and bad and, and not good, but was it successful for the business or did it turn out to be a disaster for the business? I mean, can you explain that dynamic? It was a, it was a one-off little, you know, busking of information where you get people in, invite them, but then it was the hard sell at the end and it was the hard sell at the end. So no, it wasn't successful. It wasn't successful at all. It was, yeah. And it's, um, and it, it was the hard sell and that's what I hate. It was like when I go in and try to sell storytelling, I know, I really know that this will help them, but it's almost like you put it out there, but if they don't, you know, and they might not buy for a whole lot of reasons, budget, time's not right, but in the end I just put it out there. And to me, in my head, I know I can truly help them. This is a sliding doors moment for them. They either bring me in to help them or don't bring them in to help them. And, you know, and again, I guess it's a maturity in business. I 
I don't need I don't need any more work, and so I'm not desperate. And I think and I think sometimes we go against our values, like the hard sell, when we're feeling a bit desperate, when we're feeling we oh my god we really need money. And I reckon when you do that, you'll always in the end you'll always regret it. You might justify it. I do, but I don't do a hard sell. I mean. Some customers may feel like it's a hard sell, but it's basically not because I view that that the way I sell and remember my foray is more biz dev sales in the tech industry. That's that's my true background. I mean, yeah, I, I manage everything in the Northeast region here of the U.S., but uh, I came from the sales biz dev background. I'm in the Forbes Biz Dev uh, Council, for example, but. <clears throat> The way that I sell is kind of through storytelling, not exactly the way that you know you probably do your storytelling, but I do it storytelling as far as I find out their needs, their concerns, you know, timelines, all this stuff, goals like, hey, when do you want to make a decision by? Well, okay, when do you want to make a when do you want the new system to be live? And then what I end up doing is working backwards. Well, okay, um, it would be a nice if you made a decision in May, but realistically, you've got to make this purchase by June if you want to be live January 1st. And then it comes down to holding them to accountability. Like, hey, we checkmarked all the boxes. You got the best deal that's on the table. Okay, you want to be live. So... It's either yes or no, or we're going to have to push out the go live date. And that's fine. If you want to buy in quarter three, okay, and push to go live out to February, March, or April of next year, we can do that too, you know. But if you want to hit what your original goals were that you were telling me, you've got to buy by usually it's like the end of the quarter because we're a quarter driven business and you've got to make that commitment by then. But you have to remember, this isn't something that I, just spring onto them, like, right, hey, it's uh, June 30th, uh, I need you to sign contracts and pay me today. I mean, this is something that's been uh, reminded through them throughout the whole course of the process. Our sales cycles last anywhere from, I don't know, maybe 30 days to three years, you know, depending on the size of the deal. So it's something that's trickled out, like we're working towards this mutual goal. And this is the deadline. So would you view that as a hard sale, like how you're describing it? To me, that's providing really practical advice of your insight knowledge going, okay, so from my experience, I know this takes three months or six months. So if you want to go live there, let's working backwards, we need to be starting whatever. It's just providing practical advice to the client. I mean, you know, for example, I had a client call me yesterday. They're really keen to do some storytelling workshops with their leadership team. And they're telling me, you know, we're just waiting for things to be finalized, but we want to do it for the, and they said, so we, we probably want to do it in October. I went, okay. And she said, okay, so great for this call. I'll just, you know, I've got to speak to a few people, blah, blah, blah. I'll get back to you, you know, in about three weeks. And I'm thinking three weeks is... And I said, I go, yeah, that's fine. I'm more than happy. Just do what you need to do. Just to let you know, um, I've only got four days available in October and they're filling up fast. So, and I said, I'm happy to secure a date, you know, for you. And and so that that is, um, that, I'm not making that up. Like I'm not, that's not made 
up that is just genuinely sane because what I would hate for them to do is they take three weeks, they come back, they go, yeah, we're really, really excited. Can we book a date in October? And I went, ah, they're all gone. And the next I have is, you know, December or, well, February. Yeah. That for me, that is also an issue as well, too, because, you know, as we're working backwards, you also have the resources, the people that are actually, you know, the subject matter experts that are implementing the system. Okay. I cannot commit them to a project until I have signed contracts and payment because otherwise you're just going to have, you know, three quarters, your team just sitting around waiting and not actually billing on projects. So, you know, it comes down to resource confinement too, because there is a, a finite set of resources that we have available. And if you want them, you have, you know, first come first serve, unfortunately. And, you know, some customers get it, some customers don't. And the ones that don't usually end up not liking us very much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, da- so- David, David, when I talk about a hard sell, and I, this is something, it's so ironic that, and I don't like this, is when someone connects with you on LinkedIn and you make the connection and the very next interaction is them saying, I can help you generate high-quality sales leads and blah, 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 and earn $7 figure and make make an appointment now blah 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 and i'm thinking first of all why would i take sales training of someone who has shown the way they sell to be a completely against my values and completely inappropriate like don't make a connection on linkedin and then the very next interaction is the sell it's just like i don't even know why people do that like surely Surely, and no relationship, surely. Or some people contact me to say, I can help you publish your first book. And I go, well, I've already published seven, so why why are you even... I love that. You know, I get people, I get people reaching out like, Hey, have you thought about buying this platform for your business? And it's like, well, you realize uh, that's the platform we sell, right? Uh, You know, it's crazy. LinkedIn has gotten so bad with messages like that, that honestly, anybody out there listening, if you're connecting to me, I actually will answer you on Twitter faster than I will LinkedIn on these days because I'm just getting hit up by way too many people. I don't know if it's just because the podcast doing, you know, writing stuff on Forbes.com, if with interviews that I do all that stuff, it's just bringing like more notoriety. So people are like, oh, okay, hire target, hit him up. I don't know what it is, but like, I swear I'm probably getting anywhere between 40 and 50 messages every single day from people trying to sell me things. And it sucks because there are actual people out there that are writing me messages that, for example, one that got buried, I just found that um, last time I was published in Forbes, it was about how to be a successful sales SaaS rep. And she, uh, she wrote me, asking for help, advice, and my opinion. And, you know, she was making, going from being a chiropractor into tech sales. uh, But she's like, you know, I guess tech medical sales and had a lot of questions about it. And I felt so bad because 
She wrote me, never got back to her. And I got back to her like three months later when I was finally able to skim through like thousands of messages at that point to finally see, oh, okay, here's a real message. And I felt so bad. But what can he do? I mean, it's just too many are coming in. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I've, I've actually turned off Twitter. I don't use it. Um, I still, I get on LinkedIn. And if anyone sends me a genuine message, I will always respond. But if when people do that sell, I either just do delete and block. Um, or if I've had a few wines, I get back and <laughs> tell them how crap they are. But, you know. <laughs> no, I try, I try to respond as much as I can. I'm not a huge fan of Twitter easier, but. I don't get, well, I do get some spam messages in Twitter, but not to the level that I get on LinkedIn. Like LinkedIn is 10 times worse for me. And maybe, I don't know if other people go through this or if it's just me, but I do have two final questions I want to ask you. And the first one is why I pivoted to the mistakes category is, uh, again, not because of marriage, but because uh, I wanted to find out what's like the top two or three biggest mistakes that companies make when they're telling their story or trying to tell their story. Yeah. So one of the biggest mistakes you, you said, it was just even the words you use, they want to tell their story. And to me, it's like, what's our brand story? What's our company story? It's not just one story. It's lots of stories and lots of stories. So that's, that's one little mistake they make. The other thing is Everyone has to tell the stories. It's not just the CEO. It's just not the marketing. It's the leaders. It's the employees. It's the salespeople. It's the frontline customer-facing people. You have to teach them how to do it. Now, I know I know, I may be biased because that's what I do, but what I see, the biggest mistake I see companies make is saying, we want our people to get better at telling stories and don't teach them how to do it. And it is absolutely setting everyone up for failure because telling this a good story, a relevant, succinct, good story that gets the message across in business is a skill. There is a big difference, a very big difference between sharing stories, you know, their friends and family over dinner and sharing stores successfully in work. And to me, that is ultimately the biggest mistake they make. And, and like I said, David, I might be biased because that's what I do, but I do what I do because there's an absolute need for it. And um, I see, I can see people that tell stories that haven't been trained and it's a train wreck. It's a train wreck. And you know what they do? They go, oh, I tried a story once and it completely failed and I'm not doing that again. So me a long term time to learn how to tell stories or even do a professional PowerPoint effectively, you know, and I, I still think I got areas that I've got to grow on, but doing things like, for example, this show, I mean, look at episode one compared to you'll probably be episode around 170. So that's 170 episodes, a full live stream that we did, um, you know, a lot of different stuff. Like, I was really able to kind of master my craft and grow because of this podcast. And I don't think, uh, I, I definitely cannot be the worst podcaster you've interviewed with, right? No, 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 you're not. It's second worst. Oh. But no. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Hey, second worst. That's the, the first loser, right? So, <laughs> uh, but it, I mean, storytelling, I think is so, so important. One thing I think, 
businesses need to do more. And this is something that I'm very critical of my own company again, that we're not doing at Vision 33 is we have all these stories, really, really great organic stories. But our executive team, they do not want to be in the spotlight. They don't want to be out there talking about it on different shows. They don't understand the value of sharing that story or the innovations that we're doing or the special secrets of all this technological automation that we're doing to help small businesses. You know, think mom and pops giving them technology that only a couple years ago that maybe only Fortune 500 or Fortune 50 companies could have afforded. Now we're making that possible in the small business realm. And it's like, why aren't you guys out there telling that story? And they're like, we don't have to, you're doing it. So I'm, I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh, I'll keep doing it if you want me to. But I, I really am a strong believer that they should, they should be out there telling the stories that it's more powerful being that it's their company. They're the owners. They found that they've been through everything and getting that word out. What's your take on that? Not, not necessarily for my company in particular, but for the general company that's like that, should they be out there telling their stories through podcasts, through articles, through media, to anybody that'll listen? Yeah. Look, uh, so two answers. My guess they should, but I, I don't think that's coming from a, like, I don't think we should do it or no, our story is not important. I think that's coming from a fundamental, I've got a fear of public speaking. They, you know, and a lot of, and a lot of people do, there's a huge amount of people in very senior positions that do it because they have to, um, but they will avoid it if they can. And, you know, as I was actually, I was, and it's a, it sort of breaks my heart when I hear this and um, especially some people, and again, I was speaking to a client yesterday and she said, she's actually held her back. She hasn't actually applied for positions because it, it entails speaking in public. So yes, yes, they should, but if they've got a real fear of public speaking, then um, again, you can get training in presentation skills. I, I actually do that as well, besides storytelling. But also, maybe if maybe if they've got a real fear, maybe they're not the best person to share the story. Maybe maybe it can be. Maybe they can share it internally and stuff like that. But maybe on a more public face, maybe it is finding people in the company like yourself or whoever that's more natural at it and is more passionate about it because they're probably going to do a better job. So. Part of me thinks, yes, share the stories, but if if people have an ultimate fear, develop them, give them all the development they need and capability so it builds their confidence. But if it's still ultimately is causing massive anxiety and stuff, part of me part of me thinks, okay, yeah, let let's uh, that's probably not good for anyone in the end. So um, find the other find the other spokesperson, and and you know, and and I also believe. Uh, the spokespeople of your company do not need to be the most senior. They do not need. Um, you, you probably never want to lose the founder's voice um, and maybe find a way of recording and maybe it's a recording or something. I mean, personally, I'm fine with just like, I'm like, dudes, we have total sales, like a lot of a full sales team. We're a 500 person organization. Why don't we have the sales team out there doing different interviews, different podcasts? That helps with SEO because they're going to have vision33.com attached to everything. Like there's so many different ways that it helps like behind the scenes 
of raising the brand profile. And it, 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 I don't know, it just boggles my mind. That's the, one of the only true criticisms I have with the, the company and they're a sponsor of this show. Well, probably won't be after today's episode, but they, um, you know, it, it, it's a good example. I like using real examples that are to me and, you know, imaginary examples. I don't think people buy those when I give a hypothetical situation. So that's why I always use myself or my company as the example. In fairness to them, and this is I'm, this is going to be a hard sell. It's not going to be a hard sell. There is a risk involved if they just go, oh, we'll just let those 500 people go out talking to the public. That, that's a risk. And, and as a company, I would never do that unless you've trained them. So again, you might want to train them in storytelling. You might want to train them in media training. So then that's a big commitment. So maybe it's not the whole 500. Maybe we do 10. Well, I wouldn't propose 500, but I would say, yeah, I, I, I would probably propose more the sales reps because they're the ones that are out there selling the company and telling the story anyways. So it would just be like, okay, how to you'd want to polish them up a little bit because there's a lot of stuff that can easily get you canceled these days. And like, say this, not that, and just make sure that everybody's on the same page and then go out and, and see how people, how they do it. Because I don't think, you know, again, unless you have someone going totally off the, the rails, uh, you know, during an interview, it, it, it really shouldn't be a negative impact, but a positive impact for the company. Yeah. And look, I do, I do a lot of work with sales teams as well. And I would say 95% of the stories they're sharing are with potential clients and the ones they're doing. But also, you're right, this, the same skills transferable over to interviews and, you know, podcasts and media stuff as well. Yep. Yeah. So I have uh, one last question for you. It's going to be a double whammy. First off, okay, I I want to see what was your catalyst behind writing uh, your newest book, which is Magnetic Stories, right? Okay, so what's the catalyst behind writing Magnetic Stories? And then also, uh, where can people buy Magnetic Stories, find out more about you? How can they book you for coaching sessions? Spill the yep. beans, tell us everything about you. I'd love to hear it. Okay, so two reasons why I wrote Magnetic Stories. One, one we talked about right at the start where I... I saw people have great stories, but not un underestimating the power of them. So not sharing them. What I also saw was a lot of companies doing brand storytelling or storytelling. And I'd look at what they're doing and going, that's not, that's not right. You can't do it that way. It's not that. And so there's only so many times when you get really frustrated, I get frustrated and I'm thinking they're not doing it right. They should be doing it this way. And that's when I go, okay, I need to write a book. So that was the catalyst. That, so I wrote that book. Um, so that was the catalyst for that book. Where you can find me, you can find me on LinkedIn. So I am on LinkedIn. And if you send me a message saying, hey, listen to your podcast with David, loved it, I will respond. My website is gabrieldolan.com. So that's the best way to go. If you're looking... If you're looking at getting started on storytelling, when you go to my website, you'll see a seven-day storytelling starter kit. So you can um, subscribe to that and it's free and you'll get an email from me once a, once a day for seven days. And it really is just to help you start thinking about where you could start sharing stories. I do 
I do have my only, I mostly run internally, so I run in-house workshops, but I do have one public workshop coming, well, in coming up in December, so December the 14th. It's a virtual workshop. It's a virtual workshop. It is, I'm in Australia, as we discussed, so the timing for people in America, the, the timing won't be too bad, but it will be like the evening, the early evening. Uh, so... What's the time right now for you? It is 6.53 in the evening. Okay. So when we look at daylight savings might be in it, it would be starting at about 7 p.m. your time, I think. No, that's not, it's not that too bad. bad. It's, it's three and a half no. hours. You grab a wine, no. sit down, learn how to tell stories. So that's a virtual session. Um, Everybody's stories are always better when you have wine involved anyways, always right? Always better, always <laughs> better, always better. And and you can buy any of my books from the, you know, Amazon, it, 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 all the, you know, typical online stores, you can um, get my books from there. Well, hopefully after this episode airs, we'll get your book in the top 10 in America. But yeah, we, we will <laughs> we'll definitely have the link down below in the description like we do with every single episode. Gabrielle, hey, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a great conversation. Thanks, David. Really enjoyed it. Yep. Cheers. Wow, that was such an incredible interview with Gabriel, wasn't it? It was so, so fun. First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business, please do me a favor, share us out to your friends, your colleagues, your family, whoever you want, anywhere that you dwell on the interwebs, whether it is Facebook, whether it's Twitter, whether it's LinkedIn, Minds, I don't care where you're at, just please do something, share this episode out if you found it helpful. I'd love nothing more than to see Gabrielle Dolan and Shark Bite Biz out there trending. So now let's get back to our rock star guest, Miss Gabrielle. Such a fascinating interview. And yes, I love the story about the kangaroos and me being a typical, stereotypical American, I guess you could say. You know, we love kangaroos and koala bears, to mention that too. Uh, so I had to ask that and get the story out there. But anyways, Gabrielle, thank you so much. You gave us a bunch of humor and it really a ton of solid advice that everybody can latch onto something to really help them grow during that interview. Gabrielle discussed things like how to bring your company values alive with personal stories. She talked about the importance of storytelling for your brand. I mean, without doing that, who are you? What is your identity for your business, for your employees, especially for your sales reps? Sales reps really are the ultimate storytellers of your brand and really help shape the image of what your company is. Anyways, incredible interview, Gabriel. Thank you so much for joining us, sharing your knowledge with us. And please, everybody out there, please check out Gabriel's website. The link, as always, will be down below in the description as well as please, hey, 
check out her magnificent book, Magnetic Stories. And I've got to say thank you. You know, she sent me uh, some magnets, gave me a little signature there. You want to be on the show, you send me a free book and sign it. You'll get on. Trust me. You send me stuff. I use it. I read it. I wear it. I love free stuff. It's one of the perks of doing a podcast, a vodcast, really. So thank you for sending that to me, Gabriel. Uh, It's been, I only got it a few days ago. I just started uh, glimming through it and it does look amazing. I will give it a full read. But if you want to grab a copy of her book, you know, it will... The link will be down below in the description as well and in the comment area. So question of the day, do you use your brand story to your advantage? I'd love to hear what you all think about that. Leave a comment down below if you're watching on YouTube. Remember, do you want to be on the show? Send an email out, interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. We are booked up for a while. You do have to book at least six months in advance a show. I'm sorry, we're popular. A lot of people want to be on this show just like Gabrielle did. And, you know, she waited about six, seven months before it was her turn to get on, get interviewed. And it's just the way that it rolls when you're doing one show a week. So, you know, get those requests in. We will get you in the queue. Nobody will be turned down as long as you have a great story to tell. I want to hear it. And the people watching this show want to hear it. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, you got two things you could do. You can join the channel. $3 a month, you can become a baby shark and support the channel. You can also hit the super thanks button on the video. You know, leave a comment, give us a little thanks, give us some love, and that donation will go a long way to help us keep doing everything that we're doing on the show. But if you don't want to give out money through Big Tech, don't worry, we got you covered as well, too. You can head right on over to deadhousecoffee.com. That's the best place where you can get the freshest coffee on earth delivered right to your doorstep. Use code SHARK, save 20%. We'll get all the proceeds to continue building the biggest, best show we possibly can. So, hey, you all know this by now. Oh, sorry, before I forget. I have to mention it one more time. September 21st. That's our next live stream. Episode number two of Shark Bite Biz Live with Adata Pine and David Strasser. That's me. You know, where we'll be talking about all the top business news and tech news of the day. We'll be talking about the Chips Act and many, many other topics. So make sure you tune in. We do have it already on the channel. It's already scheduled as a live show. Hit the notification bell to get a reminder. Hey, I'm going to shut up now. I've been talking too much. I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Pipe Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 